Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verses 12 through 23. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Guide us, Lord, by your word and the Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, and in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace, your peace, even in the wilderness. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, if you are pleased with me, show me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to the Lord, If your presence will not go with us, do not carry us up from here. For how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? For in this way, I and your people shall be distinct from every people on the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Show me your glory, I pray. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, the Lord said, you cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, Moses, there is a place near me where you shall stand on the rock. While my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. But my face must not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. God bless you. I want to welcome you to our worship service. And this morning, we're continuing with the second uh, message in this series on lessons from the wilderness. And last Sunday, if you were with us, we witnessed what I think, I, we witnessed one of the, the greatest breaches of faithfulness and devotion to God. And that is the creation and the worship of a golden calf as a God or as God. And this wasn't being done by a pagan nation. 
We can understand that if that were the case, but it was being done by God's people. So I want you to take some time today or next week, and I want you to read Psalm 106. Read Psalm 106, because what you'll find when you read that Psalm is that it takes a look back on this very incident that happened in the wilderness that we talked about last week. And in many ways, everything we say today is being colored and influenced by what happened in Exodus 32. So listen to what Psalm 106 says. I'm just reading a segment from it. It says this, they made a calf at Horeb and worshiped a cast image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said, God said, that he would destroy them. And listen to this. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Now that is, a, that is an amazing passage to read. Moses standing in the breach. And that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. What exactly did Moses do to address this catastrophe that was now before the people? And what I want us to focus on this morning are these three lessons, three lessons that emanate from the golden calf story. What Moses did helped the people to defame the idols of their lives, and I think what Moses did can help us today in defaming these same idols. Let me tell you what they are, and then I'll quickly talk about them. Moses exercised leadership. There's a lesson in leadership here. There's a lesson in prayer here. And there's a lesson in worship for us. If we are going to defame and remove the idols of our lives, let's look at this business of leadership, of prayer, and of worship. The lesson of leadership. It was Ralph Waldo Emerson Ralph Waldo Emerson, who once said that the speed of the leader determines the speed of the pack. John Maxwell said a similar thing in a slightly different way. He says, everything rises and falls on leadership. And you see that, you literally see that in Exodus 32. You see things falling on the basis of leadership. And as you read through Exodus 33, you see things rising on the basis of leadership. And why is that so? Because leaders are essential to the health of any organization, whether it's the church or a business or a group of people. And I wanna thank all of you who responded to the call to help us lead our church through our wilderness, the wilderness that is facing the world, the wilderness that is facing the nation, the wilderness that many of our churches are in. This past Wednesday night, we had our congregational meeting and we elected leaders as deacons, as trustees, as elders. And I want you to know, friends, that I am praying and I will continue to pray for you. And I want to thank you for standing up as a leader on behalf of our congregation during the season that we're in. You, as a leader, you are essential to the health of our church. The greatest gift that a leader 
can give to a church or an organization is not money raised. And I have no problems with money being raised. In fact, I want to encourage the raising of money. But that's not the leader's greatest gift. It's not the building of buildings. And I love to see brand new buildings go up. It's not the number of people on the rolls. It's not the programs that are developed and deployed. The greatest gift, the greatest gift that a leader can give to any organization is the legacy of lives that are changed. What that leader leaves behind. Because the money will run out, the buildings will, will fade, the buildings will be defaced, the programs will die, but the changed lives will last for all of eternity. And so this business of the golden calf, the catastrophe of the golden calf, was caused by spiritually weak leadership on the part of Aaron. Now, please, don't misunderstand me. There are no perfect leaders. Aaron was not perfect. And you will find as you read through these wilderness stories that Moses himself was far from perfect. God doesn't call perfect leaders, right? God calls leaders who are willing to obey. Leaders who love God and are willing to obey God. And so what exactly did Moses the leader do? Because in the time of a crisis, that's when leaders need to stand up. And they don't scream at the top of their voices and they don't cause panic and alarm. Leaders calmly and firmly lead the people of God into the will and the purposes of God. What exactly did Moses do? Which leads me to the second lesson that I think we can learn here. And it's the lesson of prayer. Because Moses could have complicated the problem by turning in his resignation. I mean, that's what a lot of leaders do. When things go south, when things aren't working out, the leader says, you know what, I'm done. I'm off this committee. I'm off this board. I'm turning in my resignation. I'm walking away. And he could have sought that as a quick fix. Instead, Moses looked up. And he sought the presence of the living God. You see, when you look down, when you look down at your difficulties, you're only giving yourself over to despair. The only way to sustain energy, the only way to encourage, the only way to build up, the only way to survive in the harsh wilderness in which many of us find ourselves is to turn our gaze up toward the throne of God. The philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein Wittgenstein once said that his aim in philosophy was to show the fly the way out of the fly bottle. And then he says this, the fly is trapped in the bottle. It searches for a way out. Repeatedly, it bangs its head against the glass until at last exhausted, the fly dies. Yet the bottle has always been open the whole time. The one thing the fly forgets to do is to look up. And so sometimes do we. That's the one thing we must do when we find ourselves in a catastrophe, in a crisis, in a wilderness. That's the time to look up, and that's what Moses did. Now, you look at, Mo you look at Aaron in Exodus 32, when the people came on him and said, you know, where is Moses? They're in a panic. Aaron looked away from God instead of looking to God. In Exodus 33, Moses looks up to God in prayer, and that's the difference in their leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And so for Moses, prayer wasn't an afterthought. Moses had this habit of meeting with God face to face as friends would meet. He had a place to meet. 
He had a time that he met with God. He had a very disciplined approach to his way of looking up to God. Let me read just a few lines for you from Exodus 33. I have it on the screen, and you can just follow along with me. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it, notice what he called it, the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, and I love this, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and they would worship it at his tent door. Do you see that? The speed of the leader, the example of the leader, influences the behavior and the speed of the group. And then this is one of my all-time favorite verses. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, as a woman speaks to her friend, when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. That's leadership. In a time of crisis, he looks up to God. The principle of having a place and a time and a disciplined approach was part of Moses' life and his leadership in first prayers, I want you this morning to hold on to this truth. There is nothing special about Moses. And I know many of you say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a priest. I didn't go to seminary. And, and, and we make the assumption that friendship with God is reserved for the super saints. And I want you to know this morning that there is nothing special about Moses. He was a man. He was a human being just like us. And God came and spoke to him face to face, and God wants to speak to you face to face. And in the wake of this crisis, what I love about Moses is that he doesn't look down, he doesn't look away, he doesn't give up, he looks up to God, and he returns to the mountain of Sinai for the next 40 days, guys, for 40 days. He had already been on the mountain for 40 days, brought the original Ten Commandments down and had to break it and destroy it. He went back up to the mountain for 40 days. And what is he doing? He's interceding for the people. What did he ask for? Well, I don't see where he asked anything for himself. He asked for one thing in two ways. You look at verse 13. He said, Lord, if I found favor in your sight, show me your ways. What a bold prayer. Show me your ways, God. And what did God respond? God said in verse 14, Moses, my presence or my face will go with you, and I will give you rest. You see, earlier, the Lord told Moses, look, if you want to take that, those people and you go on through the wilderness, you do it by yourself, but I can't go with you. And Moses was just shocked. He said, God, if you don't go up with us, we can't go. And so he is interceding that God would forgive the people. He's interceding that God would show up and show his ways to him because he knows he's not going to make it without God. And then in verse 18, he really asks for the big lottery. He says, God, show me your glory, I pray. Think about that. 
He wanted to see the glory of God. And what did God tell him? God told Moses, no. And you just need to know that there are some things you pray for and God's just going to give it to you. And there are some things you pray for and God is going to say no. And why did God tell Moses no? God said, look, Moses, if you were to see my glory, you would not live. No one has ever looked on my face, God said, and live. But here's what I'll do, Moses. I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I'll put my hand over you. And as I pass by, you're going to see me from behind. That's really what God was telling him. And the beautiful thing about that is that God fulfilled that promise, not just to Moses, but he fulfilled it to you and to me. In John chapter 1 and verse 18, what does John say? We have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus allowed us to see his glory. How did he do it? Jesus covered our sin. And I mean, that's the gospel right there, isn't it? Jesus covered our sin so that we could see, we could behold the face of God in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can pray that prayer, Lord, show me your ways, Lord, show me your glory, and we see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus. You say, well, why such a bold prayer? Because Moses knew he could make it in the wilderness without God. You know, there are seasons in our lives when we just need to give it up and say, God, I can't live a day without you. I need your help. And we give our marriage over to God. We give our finances over to God. We give our health over to God. We give our work. We give everything about our lives over to God and say, God, show me, show me what you want to do. John Stott is a mentor, not in a direct way, but I have been mentored by John Stott through his reading, through his preaching, through his love of Scripture, through the clarity with which he tries to present Scripture. And in his biography, he mentions a prayer that he prays every single morning. John Stott used to be pastor of one of the most influential churches in the world, the All Souls Church in London. And every day this man got on his knees and offered this prayer. And I offer it to you today. He said, good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I will take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity. Three persons in one God. Have mercy upon me. Amen. And I love that prayer because in just a few words, it expresses the human need for the fullness of who God is. We need God the Father. We need God the Son. We need God the Holy Spirit. And the lesson that we take from Moses' leadership is that each of us is given an assignment. You have an assignment. I have an assignment. And that assignment can never be done purely in our strength. We need clarity, we need persistence, we need courage, we need boldness, we need faith, 
We need strength. And the way to go forward is on our knees. A prayer-driven leadership. That's what we see here in Moses. The leader who prays. But the last thing I want you to consider this morning is the lesson of worship. The lesson of leadership, the lesson of prayer, and the lesson of worship. You see, the story of the golden calf and its impact on the leaders and the people is not just limited to Exodus 32 and 33. In fact, I would encourage you, if you want to learn more about this, you've got to read from Exodus 32 to the end of, of chapter 40, the end of the book, 33 through 40, and you'll see how God forgives. And God does forgive. Notice when God was passing by, what Moses heard the Lord saying was the Lord who is gracious and compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and forgiving. God forgives, God renews, God restores, God removes the lure of idols from the lives of the people. And so I call this section that we're going to look at very briefly, I call it the lesson on worship. Because if God is the creator of heaven and earth, if God is the only God who delivered the people from sin and bondage, then the people's response has to be worship. And why do I say that? Go back again and look at 32. They built the idols. They said, this is the God who delivered us from Egypt. And what did they do? They offered sacrifices. They worshiped this God. False worship. But here we have the true God. And notice how they worshiped God. Their response to God. They worshiped God through the giving of their gifts. And so if you want to look, open your Bibles to Exodus 35, verses 4 through 9. Notice what they did. Moses said, here's Moses the leader, said to the congregation of the Israelites, this is the thing that the Lord, that Yahweh is, has commanded. Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Let whoever is of a generous heart bring the Lord's offering. Bring gold, bring silver, bring bronze, and a whole list of other things. And to prove that they're no longer under the control of the idols of Egypt, what did they do? Well, you jump down to Exodus 35, verses 20 through 22. It says, And all the congregation of the Israelites withdrew from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to be used for the tent of meeting and for all of its service and for the sacred vestments. And so they came, both men and women and all who were of a willing heart. They brought their brooches, they brought their earrings, they brought their signet rings, their pendants, all sorts of gold objects, everyone bringing an offering to the Lord, an offering of gold to the Lord. Now remember, remember Exodus 32, because what did they do? They brought some of the same Wealth that they had, but they wasted it on idolatrous living in an idolatrous response. Now that they have received forgiveness and now that they understand that the Lord, he is God and he alone is to be worshipped, they brought their resources and they gave it in service to God. You know, today in our church, we've set aside today... October 25th as a day where we as a church can make our offering of worship to God through, the, through giving to the Lord. And like the children of God in the wilderness, I'm first of all asking all of our leaders, all of our elders, all of our trustees, all of our deacons to lead the way 
by making a pledge to the work and the ministry of this congregation. And when you lead the way, fellow leaders, God's people will follow. I'm asking you as leaders, I'm asking you as the people of God to join me in defaming the idol of mammon by giving a free will pledge. Free will. If God stirs your heart, if you are of a willing heart, I'm going to ask you to make a pledge or an offering to the Lord. They were building a tabernacle of worship in the desert. We are building lives for Jesus. We're building disciples. We're changing, not we are changing lives, but by the grace of God, God is using us to change lives, to restore hope, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to partner with God's mission work all over our community in Chicago and around the world. We're here to make disciples. And I'm asking you to join me in that mission. And even though we're not meeting in the building, the work of the church continues. And I ask you to make a pledge. And you'll notice on your screen in the chat that you can worship God by giving your gifts from your heart in response to the love of God. And I want you to do that. I want you to join me in defaming the idol of mammon. Another option you have then is to complete the pledge card that came in the mail last week. You can mail it into the church or... On Monday through the rest of this coming week, you can stop by the church Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Someone will be at the front desk to receive your gift. So, Richard Foster. You got to read Richard Foster if you want to grow your heart as a leader, as a follower of Jesus. He wrote a book called Prayer, Find the Heart's True Home, and he explains why. It's difficult for North Americans to break free from their idols and to live in full devotion to God. Now, let me just close with this quote, and it's a hard quote to read. He says, many of us today live in a kind of inner apartheid. We segregate out a small corner of pious activities and, the, and then can make no spiritual sense out of the rest of our lives. We have become so accustomed to this way of living that we fail to see the contradiction in it. The scandal of Christianity in our day is the heresy of what he calls a 5% spirituality. So what's happening with the 95%? That is the question, right? Who's getting the 95%? That is the question. But many of us are living with the heresy of a 5% spirituality. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do then. I want you to respond to the Lord with 100%. 100% of all that you have, all that you are, and just say, Lord, I'm yours. I came into this world with nothing. I'm going to leave this world with nothing. And so no more idols on the side, no more Sunday dipping the toe into a kind of religion. What I'm asking you is to go 100% with God and say, Lord, I give myself to you. I give you my soul. I give you my life. I want to live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every step that I'm taking, Lord, every moment of my life, I give myself away to you. That is the only kind of Christianity that I know. That is the only kind of call that Jesus knows to take up your cross and follow him. And those who would respond to God are the ones who will know God's ways and will speak to God face to face 
when you give your all to your creator and God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.